Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Vookcast, Australia's Nintendo podcast. My name's Angelo Valdivia, and with me this week are Oliver Brandt. G'day, folks. Luke Henderson. Howdy, howdy. And Michael Goncalves. Hey, team. We've got a great episode lined up for you this week, all about the new Pokemon Snap and our thoughts on the game so far. Super Mario Party got a random update that incorporates an incredibly important new feature. And the Australian government has finally decided to support national game development, sorry, national video game development. But let's kick things off with the latest in Nintendo's financial earnings. Ollie, you can kick things off for us. Alrighty. So we had uh, Nintendo's quarter four financial figures, which is uh, double Christmas for me. Um, <laughs> because not only do we get a, a good look at the the quarter um which is starting on january 1st and ending on march 31st um but we get a look at the entire year and the year ahead um so big big numbers from nintendo here um they sold 28.8 million switch units throughout the entire financial year so that's from march 31st last uh no from april 1st last year to march 31st this year um 28.8 million units sold which is like pretty damn close to like the 30.5 million that the uh ds reached at its height um so absolutely phenomenal numbers there um and also up from last year's uh 21 million um the switch has surpassed the uh game boy advances lifetime sales and that includes the uh game boy advance sp um and mini or micro or whatever it was called um the one that nobody bought, basically. Um, uh, excuse me. That console is amazing. I still want one, one. The, the, the one that is incredible. was marketed to fit in your jeans, but not in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next milestone is the, the Wii's 101.6 million units. Um, Nintendo has predicted that they're going to sell 25.5 million units in the upcoming financial year. Um, so if they do get to that, that will easily blow past the Wii's numbers. Um, and I think, you know, obviously in this past financial year, we had the, um, <laughs> Michael's just holding up a, uh, a Game Boy Micro there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think um, obviously we had the coronavirus and, and uh, Animal Crossing was particularly well-timed to capitalize on that. Um, so it's hard to say whether or not they're going to surpass that 25.5 million prediction, but it's worth noting that last year, um, they did predict at the end of March um, that they would sell 19 million uh, Switch consoles, and they've obviously like almost done 10 million more than that. So it would not be surprising to see um, the the Switch get more than that 25.5 million units sold, especially if there's new hardware on the table. I don't want to, you know, put words into anybody's mouth, but a Switch Pro is 100% happening, and it's it's gonna. <laughs> um, Gonna sell hundred percent happening. Oh, I, look! I'm putting it on the table now. It's a hundred percent happening, <laughs> and I think like the fact that I, we were discussing this a teensy bit beforehand, um, but the fact that they're spending eight hundred million dollars on research and development, well, that's how much they spent in this past twelve months, is a really good sign that like they're looking at innovating and pushing forward. Um, whether or not that results in a Switch Pro, who knows? Um, but I, I'm absolutely hedging my bets that it's going to happen this year um because you would not expect at this point in a console's lifetime to get um more year-on-year growth without 
either a significant price drop or new hardware. Um, so I think one of those two things is going to happen, and I don't see Nintendo dropping the price of the Switch anytime soon. Um, oh, well, here's, here's also, a question. If I can quickly interrupt you there, do you think it'll be at this point, if, say, they do release new hardware at the end of the year, do you honestly believe it's going to be a Switch Pro, or do you think it'll be an entirely new console? Because it will be four and a half years into the console's lifetime, and we have just had a new generation of consoles as well. They can I easily think, do 4K. I think for Nintendo, um, generational upgrades are dead. I, I don't think it's really going to be a clear, this is one console and this is its successor. Um, I think it, it's more going to be like, you know, the the Switch Pro or whatever we're, we're going to call it will kind of be the pseudo successor. And then in a few years time, the Switch Pro will become the base hardware and then whatever's next will play all the Switch Pro games and its new games as well. And I think we're going to see that sort of like rolling generational hardware um, going forward just because with the platform that they've chosen with um, the ARM architecture, it's very, very easy for them to make everything that they make forward compatible um, and to a lesser extent backward compatible. Um, So... You know, it's more than possible that, like, the Switch Pro will have its own games, but those games aren't necessarily blocked off from being on the Switch either. Now, we will get to a point where there will be games that can't be played on the base Switch, and I think when we have more of those than not, that's when we're going to be looking at, like, a Switch 2 or a a proper Switch successor. But I think that a lot of the games that come out on that successor will also come out on the Pro. Um, So... You know, we're just at, at one of those points where, like, I don't think generations are really helpful for Nintendo anymore, um, especially because they combined their hardware, their um, handheld and console divisions. Um, it doesn't really make sense for them to try and compete with the big companies who are all about, you know, clear generations and big leaps. I think for Nintendo, it's better that they're treating it sort of like you know, iPhones and stuff like that, where we have incremental upgrades rather than a big leap. Um, so that that would be my prediction. Um, I could be completely wrong in that, but I, I just don't see the point for, for big generations with Nintendo anymore. Um, I will say, getting back to the financials, um, what we see from Nintendo in this past financial year is the largest operating profit not only from Nintendo, but from any games company or division ever. No other games company. And when I say games company, I mean like the PlayStation division of Sony counts as a company rather than Sony as a whole, because obviously Sony has been around for a long, long time and they do a whole lot more than just gaming. Um, But when we talk just about games companies, no other company has made an operating profit as large as Nintendo did in this past year, which like given that five years ago, Nintendo was like barely keeping its head above water. Um, Nintendo was doomed. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, that's a a really fantastic thing um, for the company. I mean, it's debatable whether or not like that much of a large operating profit is good for the consumers, but that's another conversation altogether. Um, I will say I'm very surprised that Animal Crossing didn't overtake Mario Kart 8 Deluxe as the system bestseller. Um, I fully expected it to happen in this this most recent quarter, and I think we even prepared articles just in case it did happen. Um, and yeah, it just somehow Mario Kart 8 Deluxe just keeps on. It sold 10 million in the last quarter. Um, 
Well, I think that was everyone's. I think I think that was most people's like backup pandemic game as well, because yeah. people could play it online. I know it was definitely definitely mine in, in my large group of friends um, across different different circles. Rather, um, you know, smaller groups were playing Animal Crossing together, but in terms of larger groups, like we were playing eight player Mario Kart like relatively regularly, and it was different people all the time. So I think that was a lot of people's backup pandemic game. It's just the game that everyone has. Like, if you get a yeah. whole group of people that have a Switch together, you can pretty much count on almost every single person having Mario Kart. Um, it's the Switch's Halo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to correct myself. It wasn't in the last quarter. It was in the last year. So they saw 10 million in that, that financial year, um, which is honestly just like, you know, again, the coronavirus, so we can't exactly expect it to be repeatable numbers in the year going forward. But it's pretty impressive that it's managed to do that. Like we have brand new games coming out from other companies. And this is like a port of a Wii U game that came out in 2015 or 2014. I can't remember which one it was. Um, And it's like a a marginally enhanced port for the Switch. And it's still, you know, outselling brand new games. Um, That's just unheard of it it doesn't happen um unless you know it's gta which apparently is always going to be at the top of the australian sales charts um but yeah it's it's uh, at this point i don't think mario kart 8 deluxe could ever really be (laughs) overtaken as the best seller on the switch like unless nintendo you know announces a new 2d mario that is exciting um and let's face it i think those days are gone um so, yeah, I, I don't think anything's really going to knock it off its own, even if there's, you know, a brand new Animal Crossing New Horizons, you know, 2.0 big update. Um, I just don't think it can do enough to, to get it over the line there. Mario Kart 9 wouldn't be able to overtake Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Oh, but I think at this point, like with Nintendo, like what's the point of making a Mario Kart 9 when your old Mario Kart 8 game that that's true is just consistently selling like non-stop that's like, there's no I mean, incentive it's, it's to make a new one to know it's disappointing oh, to know for sure. that, though because it would be great to have a new mario kart like it just treated like like smash where just everyone's there got yeah got like a mario snake, kart, uh, um ultimate got, Chief, got brash bandicoot that would be great <laughs> um so yeah that's that's basically financials nintendo is not in any trouble of of you know submitting to to the the life of a third party publisher like some people seem to think that they they should be um it's yeah, just not gonna happen anytime soon no but you still about the, the most interesting fact are we what's that that animal crossing has sold in in its first 376 days on market oh, except yeah. from its release date to the end of fiscal year last year just gone animal crossing new horizons has sold one copy every second yeah, so that's an absolutely insane thing. But if you average it out, one copy every single second since the day it went on sale to the day we got the financials. Like, that's absolutely nuts. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what it is. Animal Crossing is, is doing very well. But it has actually had a slight dip in this most recent quarter um, where we oh, saw no. um, <laughs> we saw America Deluxe increased by about 3.5 million i think it was in this last quarter and then um uh animal crossing new horizons was about 2.5 so you know it's still doing numbers it's just uh it's dropping off a little bit in a way that um mario kart 8 deluxe just isn't we just sold around 700 copies listening to this podcast right now yeah yeah, i was gonna say (laughs) 
speaking of time, we better start moving on. Um, so let's move on to another interesting update. And uh, I, I want to hear from Michael on this one. But um, Mario, Super Mario Party got a free online multiplayer update 30 months after it was released. Um, so Mario Party, uh, Partner Party, sorry, the Mario Party and Partner Party modes are all playable online as well as all 70 mini games. The update was absolutely just sprung upon the world with no warning whatsoever. Uh, it was just done on, on Twitter, wasn't it? Nintendo was just like, oh, by the way, here's an update. There you go, guys. And everyone's just like, what? <laughs> Even though like it was a key feature that many people were asking for, Vooks included, um, when the game had released, that it was just a, a very core function that many other developers or publishers would have just incorporated in their game from the get-go. But I just want to throw this one over to Michael. Michael, tell us how <laughs> you feel about this. All right, so my opinion on this game um you're not getting updates is basically a meme at this point um so when it actually got an update um yeah very very much mind blown and don't get me wrong i think everyone appreciates that the game finally has an online component that they can play it very much seems like the most nintendo of online updates that i've seen in a long time where it's just completely tacked on none of your progress counts towards any unlocks in the game which is not horrible for the online aspect because everything is pretty much unlocked to begin with. So you can just like go straight in. But if you just wanted to play the game purely multiplayer and have stuff unlocked for your single player, oh, sorry, your, your local co-op um, game, that, that won't work. You've you got to forget, you, you're forgetting that, Michael. <clears throat> the game's been out for 30 months already. So everyone's already unlocked everything. Yeah, sure. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I've, I've only played it like twice, to be honest, and it was when it came out. It's one of those like things where I assume they've done this because obviously, you know, the past year with COVID has really shown that you can't have a game that relies entirely on local co-op in a time where people can't go to other people's houses. Um, mm. That just doesn't work. Um, but they've done it and they've just done it so like whatever. Like, okay, I guess you guys have forced us to have online. Here it is. Um, I just wish they Nintendo. put more care and effort into it. The game deserves better. It's not like it hasn't sold well. It's sold incredibly well. Um, it deserves better online. It deserves more, um, more boards, more characters. Like, it just... I don't know. I don't know if I can, like, <laughs> keep getting disappointed by Nintendo. I know I can. That, that's a lie. I'm going to continue <laughs> doing so. <laughs> It is, it is important to note, though, that the update, the online that it's added is the same that Monster Hunter has. So it's not just yeah, the so generic it's, online. It's the new system. It's it's that new NEX system. And that's something that um, I think uh, Daniel mentioned in our uh, Vox Slack, um, is that like it feels a lot like an exercise in implementing the new NEX online system into a game, uh, to, into an existing game. Um just to sort of see if that's possible and the problems with that are. So, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think that any other games are going to be updated with online anytime soon. Um, but I think, uh, you know, looking at it as like a test of that technology um, could mean that when so Super Mario Party 2 eventually comes out, and it will eventually come out, um, that it'll probably come with, with you know, online out of the gate. Um, it is very weird, though. Like... Uh, I don't know. I know that like the NEX system maybe necessarily wasn't ready to implement into an existing game before now, but like 
this update would have been so much more valuable to so many more people if it had launched 12 months ago rather than, you know, in this past week. 18 um, months after the game came out rather than 30. Yeah. But like even still, like towards the start or even, you know, in June or July or August, at any point during that time when Nintendo basically just like released a jump rope app and nothing else, um, <laughs> like, you know, we had other game companies like giving out free games and and all of this stuff. And it's like, well, you know, Nintendo's done nothing. And then, you know, when most of the the world is, is now getting vaccinated, then, you know, for some people, um, you know, life is starting to return to normal. Nintendo finally comes out with this thing, you know, just 12 months too late, um, which again is a very Nintendo thing. Like, of course they're going to get something out like way too late. Like I half expect the, the, you know, the update to come with a whole bunch of outdated memes and like characters dabbing and stuff. Like it's, that, that would be like my expectations of Nintendo adding new content to a game. Um, but you know, they, they did it at least, you know, you can play a game of Mario party online. Although <laughs> I do think it's funny. Um, a lot of the, the reason that like other people would defend Super Mario party, not having online would say like, Oh, you know, you couldn't do a whole game. Like, you know, two hours to spend like connected online is way too long. There would be connection issues. Um, and I did think it was very funny that the very yeah. first comment that we got on that article about super Mario party was like, Oh, I just played an hour long game and then it cut out right before the star ceremony. I was like, yeah, of course, like it's going to happen eventually. We live in Australia. Like our internet's <laughs> terrible, but um, yeah, I mean, it's there. It, I probably won't put the game back into my, well, it's my Switch currently because I had to test if the update was up. But I'll probably never <laughs> launch the game ever again. Um, I totally I agree really... it, it It does feel like they just needed something to test and this is yeah. what they did. But it feels like they just didn't try to fix any of the inherent issues that come along with doing that test. Just like, does online work? I guess it does. Doesn't work with 10 of the rhythm minigames. I assume latency is a problem. I can't be bothered redoing the unlock system to include online, so let's just unlock everything and don't have any type of save progress, and that's it. I it's feel like, like if, we are never getting another update to this game ever again. <laughs> it's like if Homer Simpson was a game developer and he's like, hoop doop doop there we go. <laughs> Pretty it's much, ready. yeah. Uh, classic Nintendo, though, late to its own Mario Party. Um, let's go into some uh, Australian wider news um, about the game's development industry, which is a bit of a surprise to many people, uh, the government announced its first ever federal tax offset for game development. Uh, this uh, will be in- implemented from July 2022, and only games with a spend of $500,000 for development will be eligible for the 30% tax offset, which will alleviate some of the financial um, stress for a lot of game developers in Australia. Games that incorporate quote-unquote gambling elements or are unclassified by the ACB will not qualify. Um, and IGEA CEO Ron Curry uh, said it will spur the creation of brand new Australian game development studios, give existing Australian studios the support they need to take on ambitious new projects and accelerate their growth, plus attract further blockbuster AAA studios to Australia, all of which will create game development jobs in every state. That last sentence was interesting to me, attract further blockbuster AAA studios to Australia, considering that Australia did have a pretty strong blockbuster um, tier game development industry, uh, you know, up until about 10 years ago when everything completely crashed uh, thanks to the the GFC. But um, 
the idea of bringing AAA studios back to Australia or at least developing new AAA studios, I don't know if Australia could really sustain that kind of tier of game development, at least in the next 10 years or so. It's just too volatile um, a career pathway, I think, for, for larger studios. I mean, think about like Sony, uh, the news surrounding Sony over the last like month or so where they're only interested in first-party quadruple-A game development titles like The Last of Us and stuff. Like, my goodness, could you imagine a game like that being developed in Australia as like the lead, as like the lead studio? Like, that would be absolutely bonkers. I don't know. How do you guys feel about this kind of thing? I mean, Ubisoft have 9 billion studios around the world. You know, there's Ubisoft Montreal and 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 Bucharest and Kiev and Shanghai and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, the only only continent they don't have active game development on is Australia. I can't see this being a, a reason why Ubisoft would start up development here. But for the studios that are here, this is a big win because there are there are a lot of you know smaller two three man studios, but there are some mid sized studios that most people don't even realize are here that you know can now get some support from the government, which is apart from the Victorian government, because they've been supporting PACs for a few years, this is the first real time any government in Australia has said, hey, we're going to do something for the game people. Oh, that's not entirely true. The South Australian government's been pretty good for the last 12 months or so. Um, They've been injecting a lot of funding into the screen industry in general, uh, in film and video games. Um, And like Mighty Kingdom, for example, has been growing hugely over the last year or so. They've gone up to like... 200 300 employees or something like that in the last five years or so it's a lot of people maybe maybe not quite that much maybe like 150 or 200 i can't remember it's a lot of people though um so south australia has been growing steadily but it's still you know only kind of like little spot fires of of interest at the moment but to see see something as big as this though is a huge surprise Uh, honestly like i'm just i i think it's a great idea i think the execution seems a little bit strange to me because i'm not exactly sure who this is for um like yeah smaller indie studios like you know the one that I, that comes to mind is is one that's local to me uh, up in north hobart which is giant margarita you know they've got five or six employees um and they they're not going to spend five hundred thousand dollars on game development just because like that's a lot of money to spend um so this doesn't really help them at all but then like also large studios aren't in Australia and with that whole gambling elements thing a lot of the large studios like um, Ubisoft and EA and Activision places that uh, especially Activision and EA places that were already in Australia previously a lot of what they do now is stuff with gambling elements you know like FIFA Ultimate Player and stuff like that so they may not necessarily be eligible for this kind of funding either so I'm, I'm a little confused about like what exactly like this is aimed at because like we have you know high high earning studios like sidebar games who made um golf story and team cherry who made uh hollow knight and they earn a lot of money but they don't necessarily spend a lot of money either um and they won't necessarily benefit from this because they're you know it's small two or three person studios that are selling games on the scale of you know triple a studios so it's it's a really bizarre initiative and um i'm also like a teensy bit concerned about the um whole classification by the acb thing because i'm not sure if um if uh which is the international age rating coalition 
uh, ratings will be considered for that because they don't necessarily go through the ACB to to get classified. So it's 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 a little bit weird. There's a lot of details that are currently unaccounted for, and I'd like to know more about that before you know. I think it's singing a- its praises, but I think the idea of of injecting money into the game studio, particularly via offset or uh, tax offsets, um, is a really solid idea. I just I want to know more about yeah. who this is for and how this is going to be rolled out. I think yeah, in terms of like um, uh, classification of games and things, like that, I think it means more like PC level ones because games don't have to be classified to be on Steam, for example. So they yeah. kind of just go under the radar. So it's I think that's kind of more to do with it. And sorry to interrupt you there, Michael. Um, that's okay. But going going with the five hundred dollar five hundred thousand dollar development thing, I mean, like to to get to that level, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch because say. No. Say like, you know, two years of development on a game, each person roughly, you know, would be just a ballpark figure might earn a wage of like $50,000 for a year for three people, say something like Team Cherry or something like that for three people that work at Team Cherry or two people. I mean, that's already 150000 in one year. So doing that over two years would be 300000 plus contracting to then get the game out on other consoles and things like that and maybe assets and and uh trailers and marketing and stuff i mean that already pushes it up to about seven hundred thousand dollars so depending on the on the scale of the game and the amount of platforms and things i think it's pretty it's it's relatively easy to get to that kind of figure um whether or not they actually are able to get that kind of funding is completely different and again the the, getting funded for a game is completely different to this tax offset in that case yeah this helps the sustainability of studios going forward it doesn't help establish new projects or new studios in, no. in really any meaningful way um, yeah. and like the fact that like it, it only starts in you know i think it's july next year um means that like there's at least a year where like nobody is benefiting from this policy and if that's starting then then like it's going to be another year before they can actually get any sort of benefits for that because you'll have to wait to the end of the financial year to be able to prove that you spent this much in the financial year so like it's it's not immediate and it's not really clear who is going to be benefiting from this because as i said like it's this isn't about creating studios it's about creating jobs within studios but not now um so it's 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 a bit bizarre um i again I, i'm totally on board with the idea i think that it's a really good idea and i think that eventually this will lead to more jobs in the games industry and hopefully more sustainable jobs within the games industry in Australia. Um, but yeah, right now, like it's really hard for me to say like, this is a perfect scheme because we just don't know enough about how it's actually going to, um, how it's going to be applied when it does eventually get implemented. Sorry, Michael, I completely interrupted you before. Sorry. That's totally fine. Um, so I was going to say before is that like the, the classification thing is slightly worrying to me about people investing all this time and money into a game and then potentially being caught up in some type of weird classification bungle that some game might get, almost certainly to do with um, drug use in games, which I think at this point in time, the classification system definitely needs an overhaul on on that particular aspect. Um, SAP could be quite a shock to any studio that puts in some investment of at least $500,000, which is a bit nuts. And I feel like this is also going to be one of those things where, first of all, this something like this should have been implemented 20 years ago, <laughs> let alone like now, right? Um, it's going to be one of those things where like, cool, we did it and no game studios came over here or no game studios are using it or no game, no game studios qualify it. So like we tried, but it didn't work. And then they're just going to use it as an excuse to get rid of it and just never try it again. 
Um, but it's just very, very late to the party. And yeah, I don't know. It's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, I think um, this is more like just kind of a, a signal, like a signal boost to, to uh, international studios who might want to come to Australia. I think of something like Mortal Kombat, the film again, um, where it was the biggest um, blockbuster production made in South Australia. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of companies in the screen industry were able to uh, in here in South Australia were able to contribute to it in some way. And there was a lot of excitement about what that might mean. And I know that the government here, um, the state government has been really interested in trying to get more projects to come to South Australia and film things here um, just to, again, keep that spur in the industry going. Um, so it could just be that on a larger scale where they're trying to signal, OK, look, you know, the, the screen industry in Australia was able to have, you know, a surge of interest and, and money and things going there. Where can we find in a uh, where can we support new innovations that would benefit the entire country? And this is probably just another way, another extension of that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same kind of like tax offset that you get for filming something in Queensland, for example, for a, a blockbuster movie. Um, that's something that I used to be a part of sort of that industry. And, and those tax offcuts, uh, the reason that AAA movies get shot on the Gold Coast, um, you know, apart from the fact that there's fantastic, you know, scenery all around in, in Queensland and all of that. But like those companies, like big companies like Universal Pictures would not come to Australia unless they had those tax offsets um, because it really does just dramatically lessen um, the, the cost of shooting in a place like that. So like if that's the same for game development where large studios can come and actually hire Australian um, workers rather than just bringing you know, US workers over on, on work visas, um, which is something I'm a little bit concerned about as well, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but, you know, if they're actually hiring Australian people to to create games at major studios that will sell for, you know, billions of dollars and all of that, like, that's kind of a good thing. Like, I, I, I want our industry to be back to sort of where it was before everything sort of crashed. We, you know, we had... Uh, EA Sports operating a studio here. Um, there was um, uh, the 2K Marine had with a, Bioshock, Pandemic Studios with yeah. all sorts of open world games. Yeah, we, we had heaps of development here in Australia. Uh, we had just so much. We now had like a, a Sega development studio in Australia. Um, yeah, we had Chrome Studios which, as well. Yeah. Um, and then all of these just went away and the, the indies were... But well, the, the developers were left to develop indie studios, and some of them have been quite successful, and some of them just haven't, um, and that's really unfortunate. Well, um, most of so, them went to go work in defense. Yeah, just just being developers um, in defense. So, but like hmm. uh, we have like the the people who made um, uh, Android Assault Cactus, uh, one of the best um, uh, sort of bullet hell twin stick uh, shooters on the Switch and on any platform, really. Um, that's, you know, the, the people who made that were all former Sega Australia staff who just unceremoniously got the axe at the end of the, the tenure. They just went into work one day and they didn't have jobs anymore. Um, so it's like, it's it's great that, like, they had the opportunity to keep going, but, like, that wasn't easy for them and so many others from that studio didn't. Um, so I'd really like to see a situation where those kind of people don't have to turn to, you know, chancing it on indie development that they may not be able to afford. I want to see a strong, sustainable games economy in Australia where people can get a job in the games industry and last for 15, 20, 30 years. It also, how, it also changes the landscape of the games development community here as well because of that whole 
you know, games that incorporate gambling elements won't be, you know, accepted. There's a lot of games, especially if they're made for mobile, where it's sort of considered if you don't have those elements, your game is not going to get a look in because you don't have a reason for people to keep coming back. Um, like the the biggest mobile studio in the country is Fire Monkeys, without a doubt, and they make Real Racing and Need for Speed for EA um, down in Melbourne. But those games are loaded with microtransactions. You don't have to play. Don't have to use them. You can just let the games run the clock. But if you use them, you get things done quicker. You get more game out of it. But you know, by default, this rule would say that they're not eligible for any offset. Um, the second biggest studio in the country is Wargaming, and Wargaming make their money on their pay-to-win model or pay-to-play model, which is World of Tanks and World of Warplanes. Um, not World of Warplanes, World of Warships. Sorry. Um, so the the two big studios in the country are using, you know, gambling mechanics to promote their game and, and bring people in more. So I don't know. It, it seems like they're, they're putting in hard restrictions on both sides and it's, it's leaving a very narrow sliver for people to try and fit uh, their vision of a game or, you know, their, their actual practicality of making a game. And, and hope that they, they manage to find that little space they can actually succeed. I'm definitely sort of torn because I, like, I, I definitely don't agree with the classification side of things, but I sort of 100% agree with the gambling element side of things. Like I hate the gambling stuff in games. I think it's gross and I think it needs to get out of games as fast as possible. Um, but, also, but the classification side of things, I'm like, that seems like an artistic limitation. But I don't know. It's, it, it's well, hard. Well, it also it comes would down be to- less of an issue, you know, if we didn't have an archaic and outdated classification system that didn't Correct. work for games. Um, but you know, maybe maybe that's something that we'll see the uh, the results of that uh, review of the classification system eventually lead to something. Um, but the, the, my only question is: Does gambling elements mean any in-game purchases, or does it mean exclusively loot boxes? Well, that's the I other think, thing. I think like anything a lot of these to, things. I think anything that's left up to chance. Thanks to the injection of any sort of cash, would be I don't think like purchasing things like Fortnite wouldn't be a gambling model. Yeah, like if you're purchasing direct items, like if you're purchasing like you know gems or skins or whatever, I don't think it's gambling. But if you're purchasing loot boxes or any type of like you said random like element thing, a hundred percent. Yeah. All right, uh, we're running quite over time, so let's try to punch this one through. Let's go to new Pokemon Snap. So this is this is the one that uh, a lot of people have been looking forward to for a long time, me included. I know I've been really excited about Pokemon Snap. I've only like just kind of dabbled a little bit into it. I've only gotten through the first environment and done the day-night cycle, you know, done the first um, Illum- Illuminae, Illuminia, whatever the heck they call it, the, the light-up Pokemon mission, um, which I won't spoil at the moment for those who haven't played it yet. And I've finally gotten the ability to throw apples at animals which is my favorite pastime, of course. <laughs> but you guys have probably played it way more than me at this point, so I'm going to throw it out to you. How, do we, how are you guys feeling I, about new Pokemon Snap? I will start. I have not played it, and I have no intention <laughs> on playing it. <laughs> that, is, that is me done. All right, I just want to make a quick correction there. Um, the, the game makes a very clear point of saying that the fruit are not apples. Uh, they're actually called fluff fruit. Whatever, and man. They look like apples. <laughs> they crunch like they, apples. They tell you specifically like, oh, these look like apples, but they're actually fluff fruit. And it's like, well, yeah, how are they yeah. any different from actual apples? It's an apple. Um, yeah. So I've I've played the, the first two stages um, and then I had 
cortisone injections into my hand, so I haven't been able to play any more since then. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I, I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, I didn't really super love the original Pokemon Snap. It was fine, I guess, but it just it always felt a little bit too passive, like you weren't really doing much. Um, this is a, a whole different thing for me. I've enjoyed it a lot because it is like you are actively interacting with that world um you know when you take a, a photo a pokemon will look over to you sometimes um you know you send out a scan and like you'll get the bees angry um and you know chuck apples at stuff or or chuck orbs that you get later at stuff and uh, they they all react in different ways and like you know there's a, a thing where like you see these these weird fruits like hanging on a tree and then if you like chuck an apple at one it'll drop down and then this like cool ass pokemon will come out and and start waving at you and it's like that's really fun um so yeah i'm enjoying it but i want to hear what michael says about it because oh he is not a, uh, <laughs> he told me that he was gonna like get get involved in pokemon and like this is exactly what i wanted all this time so <laughs> so yeah i'm notoriously not a fan of pokemon since like pokemon yellow basically um so I decided to pick it up. I was like, you know what? I've got to give this a try. This is definitely the most out there Pokemon thing that I've done in a while. I'll give it a whirl. And I've probably played a similar amount to Angelo. So through those first couple of stages, get into that, the glow thing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's neat. Like, I understand, like, the appeal of, of people wanting, like, to play the game. Like, I remember playing through the first stage. And I was trying to get a photo of, I don't even know what Pokemon it was. I can't remember. But some goddamn grass was in the way. I'm like, get the heck out of the way, grass. I want to get this photo of this Pokemon. Why'd you grow that? Um, it was like super irritating. I remember at the end of the first level, I, can't, I, I man, I really don't know Pokemon names. So there was a Pokemon. And I don't know what I did, but I did something and there was a magical three star shot in there. And I was like, this is sick. Um... <laughs> And I actually have to go back and actually try and figure out exactly what I did to get that three-star shot, but it was, it was really, really neat. But yeah, I think from going from like the old Pokemon Snap on 64, yeah, the interaction you get with the Pokemon as you play through and they, you know, you can throw stuff at them or, you know, do this, the Sonar scan thing to get their attention or whatever other environmental interactions you can have. It definitely amps up the game um, a little bit. Um, one of my mates at work also picked it up, so we're going to uh, play through it together a little bit, like at work when we're on a lunch break. So, I don't know. It's pretty cool so far, uh, but I definitely have to dive in a little bit more. Yeah, see, I, I completely disagree with Ollie in, on the on the statement about there was not enough interaction in Pokemon Snap on the 64. I thought there was heaps of interaction. In order to be able to complete levels, you have to interact in different ways. You have to lead Pokemon by, like, throwing apples or fluff fruit, whatever they call it. Um <laughs> And get them to follow it and then like hit switches and stuff. Like there was that, I remember when I discovered the way to beat oh, whatever that down river level is with the mountain and stuff. And you have to like draw a manky or something. No, you know, a manky has to kick a magic up or something. Something has to happen with a manky and it rolls down a hill or something like that. And it lands on a switch and it opens up an entirely new level. Like there are all these little like Rube Goldberg machine things where like one thing at uh activate something else and then something else and then something else and then you have to interact again and then something else happens it's just this daisy chain of just little events that you have to um kick off to 
to finally get a payoff at the end, which I think is really cool because a lot of that kind of stuff is hidden. And it's great to see that you can do more of that now. There are, there are more ways to interact. So I'm really interested to see how much further that gets played into here. Um, but the the Vux review is pretty positive. Uh, Daniel Vukovic reviewed it, gave it a four out of five. Uh, he seemed pretty happy with it, which is great. Um, but yeah, so Michael, you're saying as a non-Pokemon guy, you're saying that this is one that you're going to stick through? Yeah, I definitely like Playthrough a bit. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just the more passive experience of, um, like, interacting with the Pokemon, like, you know, while you're in the little, like, buggy and taking photos and trying to figure out exactly what you need to do to get those one, two, three, four-star photos that has me intrigued more than the mainline RPG element of, of the game, which I think, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I have no idea. For me, I feel like this hasn't evolved in the past, like, 25 years. Like, it's just very much of, of, of the same. And I think experiencing Pokemon through, like, a different lens than what I had pretty much the last time oh, I played it. Oh, he did it. Oh, God damn it. Actually, that wasn't <laughs> even intentional. <laughs> um, the last time I actually tried playing a Pokemon game was Pokemon Black. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice. I'll definitely, you know, continue to stick it through. And maybe the new, like, ultra, like, Pokemon RPG that's coming out will change my mind further but i guess we'll, we'll see michael let me blow your mind for a moment did you realize this is a huge secret but did you realize that pokemon snap is actually an on rails shooter and maybe that's why you're enjoying it i, I do actually love on rail shooters so, there you <laughs> so <go>. maybe <laughs> so that's probably what it is uh no that's great i yeah i think i think we're all enjoying it just enough to keep keep going with it it's it Took 20 years, 21, 22 years, something like that. But we finally did it, guys. We have another Pokemon Snap. Can't wait to play new, new Pokemon Snap when I'm like, what years now? When I'm like 54 years old. Goodness gracious. <laughs> if the next game isn't called New Pokemon Snap Snap, I'm not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Let's. Uh, we'll very, very quickly touch on the games that we're playing at the moment. Uh, who would like to go first? Um, I'll go first because I'm going to be quickest. Um, as I said, I can't really play much things, um, but I'd play the uh, the new update for Monster Hunter Rise, which adds like three new monsters to hunt and a whole bunch of new levels and stuff. I'm now Hunter rank 40, uh, 50, I think now. Um, so uh, that is still consuming my life. I have 160 hours in this game and it's only going to go Oof. up. Jeez. All right. Who's next? I'll go next. So obviously I've been playing New Pokemon Snap a little bit. Um, which I give my opinion on, but on the other complete other end of the spectrum, I've been playing Returnal on on PS5, um, which is quite simply an incredible experience. So it's sort of like uh, Metroid Prime mixed with Dark Souls, which I'm not like a super Dark Souls fan, but I'm a super Metroid fan. Again, pun unintended. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's a really, really awesome experience. Not to mention that it looks absolutely gorgeous. Runs on 60 FPS. It's a really, really awesome experience. Um, I look forward to diving in a little bit more and replaying a million sections. Lots of discourse around that game lately. Um, negative or positive? Uh, is, there pos- is there positive better- discourse? Yeah. That's just coarse, isn't it? Um, interesting. Uh, Luke, what about you? Uh, so I've been playing uh, Red Solstice 2 uh, for preview for me. It's a PC game. It's kind of a mix between sort of, you know, StarCraft with the top-down RTS stuff, but it's action-based. 
So you're always moving, always shooting. Um, so that's cool. And I've also been playing a Famicom Detective Club, The Missing Air and The Girl Who Stands Behind. So um, Paul is reviewing that for Vooks. I'm reviewing it for my side. So we've been playing that and talking back and forth <laughs> about the uh, complexities of trying to solve mysteries. Hmm. We, we were going to give that one some more airtime today, but we're running out of time at the moment. So maybe we'll save that one for next episode in that case, because when does the game come out? Uh, the game is out uh, on late 14th. Uh, yeah, and then uh, the embargo is up on the 12th, so later this week. Cool. Yeah, so we'll get into the Fortnite forecast in a sec. I'll just quickly mention that I, apart from new Pokemon Snap, I just started Genshin Impact this morning, just because I'm on a whim. I downloaded it last night. thought I'd give it a whirl for an hour this morning. I mean, I know that the whole premise of that game is that it's supposed to be like a clone of Breath of the Wild, but my goodness, it just doesn't feel anything like in terms of like soul or just general charm. It doesn't feel like Breath of the Wild whatsoever. Um, it's just super- That's probably why Ollie likes it. <laughs> Maybe actually. It's just, it just feels so hollow. Um, it's super anime in not even like a, a fun, interesting kind of way. Um, just lots of chatting, lots of overdone, high-pitched anime voices. I'm just like, oh my god, kill me! But it gets um, a lot better, like sixty hours in. Oh, so you know, just don't keep do that. Don't do that. <laughs> one of the reasons don't worry, why jump in sixty hours, it's all good. <laughs> one of the reasons why I jumped into it is because I've got students um, who play it and they're constantly going on about it and stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'll finally give it a shot and figure it out. And I got real mad at one point when I realized that the world doesn't really interact with itself the way that Breath of the Wild does. And a clear example was I stood like over a hill and I saw this like giant. I saw this huge shadow just rolling across these like, you know, rolling greens. And I was like, oh, cool. There's like a giant cloud coming by. I'm going to look up and see if it's going to affect the weather. I looked up at the sky and there's just a big bright sun. There wasn't even a cloud. It was just a big shadow that just (laughs) was generated over the grass. It didn't actually, it wasn't a shadow created by a cloud. I got real mad. I'm like, okay, so that's the kind of game that this is. Anyway. I love that you're trying to get hip with the kids by playing a game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, a little bit. I am at that age and point in my life now where like, yes, children around me are now influencing the games that I play. And I'm not even that old, but I'm pretty old compared to them, I guess. You you do look a little bit like Steve Buscemi, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fortnite forecast. So between today, May 9th and the next episode's recording, May 23, we have on March 13, we have Ruby Grim Eclipse Definitive Edition. Uh, We've got on May 14, Famicom Detective Club, The Missing Air, Famicom Detective Club, The Girl Who Stands Behind, Subnautica, and Subnautica Below Zero. So a big day for for sequels there. Uh, May 18, we have Leisure Suit Larry, Wet Dreams, Dry Ice. So Dry Twice. Goodness, what a... Why did I... I didn't read that ahead of time. And we have SnowRunner. Uh, on May 21, we've got Knockout City and Metopia, and Michael's just like, losing it at the moment. Uh, I, I, I do want to point out with, with Knockout City coming, oh, um, that is cross-play day one, uh, and it is included on Xbox Game Pass. So if you do pick it up on Switch, there will always be people to play with. Uh, Luke, next time we do a Fortnite forecast, can you like put Leisure Suit Larry in italics so I know that it's coming? Oh, God, oh I did it my again. God. Oh, no. All right, anyways. <laughs> anyways. <laughs> Nintendo 20 questions. Ollie, Good please Lord. take this one. Alrighty, so I got a uh, suggestion from a listener for a game, so that's what we're, we're doing now. So hit me with your 20 <clears> questions. <throat> All right, let's just start with what we always start with. Was it uh, released after 2010? It was not released after 2010. Ooh. Okay. 
Was it released after 1990? It was not released after 1990. Ooh. Ooh. Good, good range to cut Here off. We well go. done. <laughs> All right. So, uh, was this released on a Nintendo home console? Uh, it was. Okay. okay. So that knocks out early Game Boy. And Game & Watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, an NES game. Uh, was this game developed by Nintendo? It was not. Okay. That narrows it down quite a bit because there were... Well, let's see Nintendo we, were sort of the big one. Let's see if we can narrow it down further. Was it developed in Japan? It was developed in Japan. Okay. Ooh. There we go. My, my mind's going straight to Castlevania. This time. <laughs> <laughs> is this game in a series that is currently active in game, like games are still being made in that series? No. Okay. I'm still thinking Castlevania. Um, so we know it's made in Japan, so uh, maybe genre? Uh, See, I wanted to ask genre, but we got some very specific feedback last time about genre. And I was really <laughs> hesitant to ask the question. Well, just before we get to genre then, um, was there an arcade version of this game? There was an arcade version of this oh, game. Oh, there we go. Great question, man. There we go. Interesting. So, so it was likely to be an arcade port in that case because usually games that came to arcade and then got ported mm. to console. And it was it's an, Pac-Man. And it was an NES, well, was there a Pac-Man game on the NES though? I don't think there was. The only, only, only arcade game I can think of is Donkey Kong. It was on Atari. Well, there was a bunch of like shooters, right? Like um, and uh, side scroll beat 'em ups, like Double Atari, Dragon, yeah, and Double Dragon and stuff. Oh, so it also wasn't made by Nintendo, so it's not. But it was made in Japan. Okay, okay. Um, so it was an arcade game. Well, I mean, who, who, the, who the big arcade players at the time? It was Capcom. Well, we could ask if it go, go. If it's, a, if it's a game that goes up, like the, 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 the ones that go up, or if it goes across. Okay, was this a vertical-oriented game? Um, I do not believe so. Okay. So a side-scroller then. How many questions are we in? Uh, that was your seventh. Okay, okay. So we got room. I think you're doing pretty good right now. So it's a it's a a horizontal game made in Japan on the NES that also came to arcades. So Correct. we could ask if, so side. So we could ask if it's a brawler. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Brawler is more more likely. So is uh, should we say brawler or a fighting game? Brawler. I don't think there were many fighting games on the NES. The only one I can think of is the OG Street Fighter. Hmm. All right. So was this game a brawler? Uh, no. Okay. It was not That's a, a lot of arcade games gone. So what other arcade styles were there? Must have been shooters? Like a Contra? Yeah. Uh, was Contra arcade? Yes. So. Yeah, Contra the arcade. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could ask if this game is considered challenging. Uh, that's pretty high. It's, highly, it's, it's going to be... It's going to be a free one here. Right? Be there. It was on the NES <laughs> and it was an arcade port. It's probably challenging. <laughs> All right, so does this, does this game involve weapons like guns? Shooty weapons? It does involve shooty weapons, yes. Okay. Oh, so, God, maybe it is Contra. So it, it invo- so we've got to sort of nail down whether or not we would classify it as a shooter in that case. But if it's an arcade game, oh. it's less likely to be a platforming adventure kind of game. I That's mean, another could, thought. I thought about Bubble Bobble, and I feel like that would be a very creative answer to say it involves shooting <laughs> weapons. But that's that, that surely that one would count as a vertical oriented that's, that's one. Not shoot, oh, yeah, but that's also not shooting stuff. weapons. That's, that's just shooting bubbles. abilities. 
Um, all right, was this game developed by Konami? It was not developed by Konami. All right, so it's not Contra. <laughs> you are now halfway through your questions. So who else what is the, Namco? What other games are there? Arcade like, games? Shoot Capcom? Weapon. I don't know any shooters made by, by anyone other than Konami, really. Oh, uh, is, it, uh, is it a light gun game? Is it, is oh, that sorry, a that wasn't that wasn't a question. Sorry, that's <laughs> <laughs> that. But like, like a question of the group: Could it be a light gun game? It could be. See, so y- y- you and I, Michael, both did went <gasps> at the same time, and I thought maybe we're both on the same track. My thing was uh, Bionic Commando. Oh, no, that's a good one. Wasn't is, like that a, like, is that Konami? Oh, is that Konami? That was Capcom. That was a Capcom. Was a Capcom. But that was a good one. That though. wasn't an arcade game, though. I'm pretty sure it was. What's the arcade elements of that? Like, because pl- there weren't many platformers it. that were in arcades. I thought maybe it's maybe I'm wrong. I just I I don't remember it being an arcade game. I mean, I could we could ask if it uses a grappling hook or a, 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 a retractable appendage of some description. Or to keep it a little more broader, we could ask if you can jump because <laughs> you can't jump in in Bionic Commando. You have to use the grappling oh, yeah, hook. You can't. So in this game, then, can you jump? You cannot jump in this game. Oh, okay. Could still be a flying one, though. <clears throat> it also <laughs> doesn't exclude like on games. That's true. Well, you can ask that if you want. Uh, I want to, but I feel like I've just I've gone down a crappy path. You can- I mean, you could just ask if, if, if it required an accessory in order to play yeah, it at home. like a peripheral or something. Maybe I mean, the controls are peripheral. <laughs> a special peripheral. An additional peripheral. I robbed the yeah. robot. Okay. Does it require a peripheral that isn't the normal NES controller to play no. the game? No, it doesn't. Okay. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, you could play Duck Hunt with the controller. Not that not you should, but you can. How many questions is this? Uh, it should be 12. Used 12, yeah. Okay, so we could ask if you're in a vehicle. <clears throat> yeah. Are you in a vehicle in this game? Uh, not, not for the most part. Uh, I'll give you that. The, okay. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a freebie. There are times when you're in a vehicle and times when you're not. Most of the gameplay, you are not in a vehicle. Okay. Did the, did the Metal Slug games hit arcade and NES? Those were turbo graphics, weren't they? Uh, Metal Slug? No, they were Neo Geo. Neo Geo, right. That's right, never mind then. Was there a Master Blaster arcade game? Because you're in the vehicle in that. Some of the time. A lot of the time. I can't remember. Was Master Blaster uh, an arcade I, game? I don't think it was. I think it was just an NES. But I'll be honest, I was like, you know, seven at that time. So my my experience in arcades was extremely limited. Hmm. Um, you you think you can't jump, right? You can't yeah, jump. You can't right. jump. I was thinking of Mega Man. But you're in a vehicle some of the time. What is an arcade game where that is the case? I mean, Blaster Master is the only one I can think of, but yeah. it's been so long since I played Bionic Commando, I honestly don't know if it had vehicles. I mean, and the the, the sort of sub-question to that is, you're, you're in a vehicle, but do you control it, or is it just part of, like, at the end of the stage, you jump in a vehicle and drive to the next one? Um, I, I mean, I, I honestly think... We need to sort of try and see if it is Bionic Commando. In this game, are you given 
uh, an appendage in order to allow you to tra- traverse the the world. Yes. Oh, okay. Bahana Kamado. Okay. If it is that, I didn't realize it was an arcade version. I mean, we could just ask, and if it's not, at least we know we're not we're going down the wrong path. Well, if we ask the game, then that's the last question that we are like. We, that's that's the end of the game. Is it? Is that is that okay? That's, that's that's how we misunderstood. Yeah. yeah, I misunderstood the rules of the game. Um, <laughs> I mean, we could always just ask if it was developed by Capcom. Yeah, do that. Yes, true. Was this game developed by Capcom? This game was developed by Capcom. Okay. Does the game have Bionic in the title? <laughs> the game does have Bionic. Oh, in the okay, title. okay, okay. <laughs> Go for it, Luke. It was your it was your idea. <laughs> Uh, is this uh, game Lego? No, it's not. Oh. Lego. Uh, is this is this game Bionic Commando? All right. So, originally released in Japan at arcades in 1987, where it was called Top Secret. This game got a port to the <laughs> NES in 1988, where it was called, and I'm not kidding, Hitler's Resurrection, Top Secret in Japan, and was eventually released in 1998 in North America and 1990 in Europe. As Bionic Commando. Nice. nice. Did you mean 1988? Nice. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't release on NES when the 64 was out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry. I didn't realize um, there was an arcade version of that game. Okay. Yeah, yeah. neither. Apparently so. Top um, secret. Hitler's resurrection. Top secret. <laughs> That's yeah. the best. It's a fantastic. I saw that. That's I was a like, great oh, name. I have to do this. It's such a bizarre Top thing secret. to name a game. Yeah. Um, and I wonder why I wasn't called that in the West in the 1980s. <laughs> 80s video games really hated Nazis and Hitler. What a great time. But, oh, that was yeah, good. You got it. And you did that's a really good, good job of getting it too. I thought you were going to like go off on that because light gun tangent for a while. I was really worried. This is about why that. I said like I feel like I'm going down a, a bad tangent I, here. <laughs> I, I honestly figured it couldn't be that because the only real light gun game on the NES that anyone remembers is Duck Hunt, mm. and that wasn't an arcade no, game initially. Operation Wolf was that a wait? I said that, that people remember. <laughs> I, well, I I wasn't a Nintendo person. I was a Sega kid, and I can't remember if there was an NES version. But Operation oh, Dark Wolf. Secrets of the Podcast revealed. <laughs> Back <laughs> up. That's not, a, that's not a secret. I absolutely I was happily a Sega kid growing up. Um, Master System Two represent. Um, but yeah, like yeah. I had a like I had a couple of like gun games. Uh, one of them was Operation Wolf, and another one was Space Gun. That one made me poo my pants many times. That was a terrifying <laughs> alien horror game. My gosh, so bad. But yeah, that was a great choice. Uh, who who was that that gave you that suggestion, Holly? Uh, so that was uh, a listener called uh, their their link wick, uh, wick in our um our Discord. But they also said that their name is Dave. So thanks, Dave, for uh, awesome for for that suggestion. That was a great uh, suggestion. A bunch of other suggestions yep. that are way harder than that. Good, so, uh, <laughs> good game choice, by the way. Also on NES and the was, PS3 remaster is also incredible. That sound, have you guys actually listened to the soundtrack to that? Yes. Simon Vickland? so he, good. He made a badass soundtrack for that. That is a great soundtrack. Go and listen to it. It is fantastic. Some of Simon Vickland's best work. It was great. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for, for your suggestion there. Um, who's next? Who's doing... Uh, 
Nintendo 20 questions next time. Is it you, Luke? Uh, that would be me, yes. So for anyone who has suggestions, hit up Luke in the Discord. Uh, and let's let's talk about that very, very quickly. So that about wraps up this week's Vookcast. Be sure to head to the website, www.vooks.net, for all your Nintendo news, reviews, and everything in between. To keep up the, di- the date, follow the site on Twitter at vooks.net, all spelled out, or jump on over to our Discord at bit.ly forward slash vooksdiscord. Let's start with Luke. Luke, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me uh, hovering around the Discord um, and also over at maxgeek.com. Great, yeah. So send your suggestions over to Luke and Ollie. Where can people yes, find sorry, you? Yes, sorry, sorry. Uh, in the Discord, I am Renderman7. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Don't just start randomly talking to people and saying, here's suggestions for you. It's uh, Renderman7. That's, that's who I am there. And Ollie, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me inside Discord, which I very much encourage people to go to because we've just added a, a few new things and had a bit of an overhaul with it. So it's uh, very cool right now. Um, and you can find me again in that Discord um, or on Twitter at Chocobalt, C-H-O-C-O-B-A-L-T. All right. And Michael, where can people find you? You can also find me in the Discord uh, and on Twitter under the same name, which is uh, SubElement, S-U-B-E-L-E-M-E-N-T. And you can find me on Twitter at Mangello with a zero at the end and over at Twitch at Mangello Show with no zeros there. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next fortnight. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.